For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In Proverbs chapter 9, we are presented with a choice. Wisdom and stupidity are likened to two women hosting banquets and calling out to all who pass by, inviting them to come to dinner. But one party will result in life, while the other will end in death. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Decision Time. All right. Good evening, everybody. I believe we're ready now. Let's get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, now as we look at Proverbs chapter 9, we ask for your blessing. Open the eyes of our hearts, we pray, so that we might uh, see the truth and be able to put it into practice and be blessed. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Ben Franklin is the one who said, you're not a fool just because you've done something foolish, only if the folly of it escapes you. All right, so it's really important uh, to be teachable. In fact, uh, the quality of being teachable and learning from correction will be talked about in this chapter as one of the most important ways to become wise. And so uh, with that, we are coming to an end of a major section. I, I, I told you in the beginning that Proverbs is broken up into the first section. In fact, I have a little um, chart for you. One through nine, which we'll finish tonight, chapter nine, uh, is called the introductory uh, section, where you will find, and we have studied 10 speeches from a father to his beloved son or child about the ways to be wise. And to be wise and live with virtue and enjoy blessing or be stupid and do the wrong thing and suffer the consequences. I just like to paraphrase, but actually we did learn that the word for fool really does mean stupid, a willing uh, stupidness, a stupid by choice. And so um, I know it's sort of weird to talk about it in such terms, but that's really where the rubber meets the road. And so uh, there are also, in chapters one through nine, there are four poems about Lady Wisdom. So if wisdom was a woman, this is what she would say to us and plead with us. And so we've seen, uh, now we're in the fourth poem of Lady Wisdom, which will be tonight, and it ends the chapters one through nine. Then just for, you know, just for fun, Chapters 10 through 29 is just a buckshot of hundreds of Proverbs. And so the, actually the book of Proverbs officially starts next chapter with those hundreds of scattered uh, subjects of uh, pearls of insight and wisdom and little uh, sound bites of truth that help us live uh, a blessed life. And so as you can see, there's lots of um, subjects, family work, anger, gossip, Forgiveness, alcohol, and more. Now, those are general rules. They're not promises. And so a proverb is not a promise of God. It's the general rule. Uh, the fear of the Lord brings along life. It, it's, it's not a formula. It's generally speaking, when you do things God way, God's way, 
walks, when you walk with the Lord, uh, he, he does bless you, and you do tend to live out a longer, happier life. But there are exceptions. And train up a child in the way they should go. And in the end, generally speaking, it's not a formula. It's just saying uh, these are general uh, rules and guidelines to live your life. Now, uh, the book of Job and um, the book of Ecclesiastes handles the exceptions to the rule. What, when, when what is wrong and unfair happens to innocent people, those kinds of questions. And then finally, the last two chapters, uh, we can look at the way that we have been looking at them because they're, they're larger portions of scripture. And uh, chapter 30 is the poems of a very wise man named Agur, and he kind of models what it's like to seek wisdom. And then, of course, King Lemuel, uh, with advice from his mom, uh, chapter 31, and he talks about the virtues of a godly uh, woman. And so uh, that will wrap up the book of Proverbs. And so uh, now, with that, it's decision time in chapter 8. Thank you for that. Uh, it's decision time in, in chapter 9, I should say. So after eight full chapters um, he, of explicit instruction and all kinds of passionate pleadings and uh, clear example and dire warnings, uh, chapter 9 is going to call for a decision. And it's, you're either going to turn left uh, into wisdom's house where Lady Wisdom is throwing a big party and a banquet. You're either going to go into her house, or you're going to go across the street to uh, Madame Folly's house, or there are other uh, descriptions uh, that we could call her, uh, but we, we, she is also hosting a rival banquet, and the two houses and their banquets and the ladies and the choices for those who are trying to go on the street path in between their houses is the subject of chapter uh, nine. So let's get started here. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she's calling from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. So we'll pause there. It's pretty straightforward, and we'll call this the house that wisdom built. Now, there's a party going on here, and I know that reminds some of you of an old song, uh, but you're all invited, come one and all. And so everybody in life is pictured going down this road with choices to the left and to the right, and to swerve off course and to take the wrong exit is really uh, devastating. And so uh, last we heard in chapter 8, last chapter, uh, wisdom, lady wisdom, this wisdom who's calling out and saying, hey, got a party, spread a table for you, come on in, eat and enjoy and be blessed. Uh, that gal... <laughs> was pictured as being at God's right hand when he created the universe and the earth. And you'll recall that from last week, where she laid out her resume and said, you know what? Here's what I can do. The Lord didn't really lift a finger, as I said last week, without me. 
The Lord used wisdom to hang the sun, moon, and stars in place. And, you know, that's a lot of astrophysics and a lot of uh, math and science and to have a, a planet filled with life. And she's taking credit for that. And, she, and the whole point of last week was Lady Wisdom saying, if I can do the universe in such a beautiful, just a beautiful way to bring uh, life and, and, and structure and form and beauty out of chaos. Just think of what I could do uh, with your life. And so uh, from that, now we immediately start to find out this same woman, Lady Wisdom, is going from the, the creating the cosmos in with wisdom, and now she's built a house for humans to come in and be with her. So it's one thing to have her as a ethereal force out there somewhere. Wouldn't that be nice to try to get a hold of some of that cosmic wisdom? Now it's saying, hey, listen, wisdom is, is accessible. There's a house, there's a location, there's a place where humans and wisdom can meet together and the same kind of awesome and beautiful consequences and things that wisdom can do can in the world, she can do in your human life. So the first thought here is that wisdom is accessible. She's available. She's calling out. She's open for business. Here's what she's saying. She's saying, let's do business together. Let me work in your marriage. Let me work in your mind and your heart. Let me work in your relationships and the things that burden you. You know, you'll be skilled at life. We can solve some of your problems. You know, you can produce something beautiful and awesome. So notice a few things in your text, verses one through five. Um, what a, first of all, a mind-numbing opportunity before us to have the same kind of quality at our right hand that God Almighty used to create life that we too can have that same, by our side, the same kind of wisdom. And so she builds a house, and what does her house look like? There's some implications here for us. There are seven pillars. The number seven, of course, is always sacred. It means complete or perfect or not lacking. So she's carved out her pillars, and the idea is strength and solid and safe and immovable. The same thing that the Lord Jesus wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount with, with anybody who hears my words, the Lord Jesus' words, puts them into practice, uh, will be like the man or the woman who builds their entire life on a firm foundation, and no storm that ever comes will be able to um, prevail against that house. You'll be safe. So the idea of pillars and the number seven is that everything you need for a safe and strong life. And then, uh, really, the, the life of wisdom is seen as not dull or boring or tasteless because not only has she built her house, but she has set her table. All right, so setting her table, you know, the devil's biggest lie is that if you become a Christian, you're going to be bored to tears all the time. You can never do anything fun anymore. Uh, that was one of the reasons I put off becoming a Christian for so long, even though I began to be convinced of my own sin and my need for Jesus. It was the fear of, of entering a life where there was just, it was just no fun, no excitement, no more thrill. 
I was 19 years old at the time. And I remember coming to Christ. And I remember falling asleep many nights with a smile on my face and just so happy and full and, and content and filled with peace. And knowing the excitement of walking with a living God, waking up and calling God who made the universe your father. Just that's a lot of excitement, for in, at least uh, in, in my consideration, to walk with God. Uh, that's awesome. So she's, she has set her table, and it, it's with choice meat. Now, you know, there's tri-tip on, on, on the table. There are broths. There are just barbecue chicken. And, you know, if you don't eat meat, uh, even though she says that she's got choice meat on the table, uh, roasted veggies will fill you up, you know, if you eat enough of them, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I, I tried. I tried for three or four weeks, and it was really yummy for three or four weeks. And then I drove by an In-N-Out, and I... <laughs> And I smell the, just, just hard. I am a carnivore. I'm just sorry. That's the way it is. And so here's why, why choice meat. You will never leave wisdom empty. You will always, when you do the right thing, you're walking with God, you'll be full. And this is such a big uh, theme in the Bible, to do the right thing, that God has come to give you uh, satisfaction and rest in your soul. Jesus saying, anybody who drinks of the water that I give, you'll never be thirsty. Blessed, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst after being right with God and, and living right before God. That's what righteousness means. He says, you shall be gorged. The word there is gorged, full. That's the idea of wisdom, having a banquet and saying, anybody who eats of my banquet, wisdom, the word of God, walking with Jesus, will be satiated, will be totally satisfied and full because there's meat on that barbecue. All right, mixed wine, mixed wine. Wine in the Bible stands for joy. And so there'll be joy in your hearts when you do the right thing and you walk with God. Mixed wine, they used to mix it with uh, herbs and honey to make it sweet. Now, God's wine, wisdom's wine, is a wine that is mixed and never with woe. There's no, there's no drunkenness at that party at all because drunks go to the other house, uh, the house of fools. All right, so, so when, when wisdom... <laughs> sorry. One lady found that entertaining. <laughs> and I thank you for that. Uh, now, uh, now uh, uh, yes, so God's wine um, is a holy joy, and that's what uh, he's talking about. Now, if somebody with wisdom had a drinking problem, they would opt not for the mixed wine. They would opt for the spring water or a Diet Coke. Amen. <laughs> Now, uh, that's just the idea. It's this joy. It's a lie that the Christian life has no joy. There's no joy if you're a carnal, worldly Christian. There's no joy because you have enough of God to be saved and enough of the world to make you miserable. So uh, if you're miserable, there's a, there's a user error there. That's, it's not God's problem. Uh, walking with God will bring you a lot of joy. Listen to how First Peter puts it in chapter 1 and uh, verse 8. He says, though you have not seen Jesus, 
You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with, here it is, inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's King James. For You can't even talk about this joy. And you can even have it in the midst of difficult painful situations. It's a joy that runs really deep because it's eternal. I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. Uh, Even death can't get in the way of that kind of assurance. And that's what brings joy. And that's why she's talking. You'll be full. Your soul will find satisfaction and rest. Our hearts are restless, Augustine wrote, until, oh God, they find their rest in thee. You'll find rest, you'll find uh, everything that you need, and you'll have joy for your life. The pillars, you'll, here's what she's saying already. It's saying you'll have a happy and a strong, blessed life if you do things God's way. And so it's just the prominent theme over and over again. Can I just tell you, even in the Old Testament, he says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk uh, without money and without cost. Why spend your money on things that do not satisfy and your labor on what, what is not real food? Listen to me, eat what is good, and let your soul delight in the abundance there that God provides. And so that's the first idea. So she built her house. She set her table And she's calling to you and to me. So let's notice the invitation together. First of all, the invitation is humbling, right? It's very humbling because the implication, of course, is that we do not have any wisdom apart from God giving it to us, that it's not found in our hearts. Uh, In other words, as Paul quotes Psalm 14, there's no one who's righteous, not even one, There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they've become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Wisdom's invitation is only to two kinds of people, simple and those who lack judgment. And that's the biblical estimation of unregenerated man. That's a humbling thought. And that is partly why many people miss heaven, because they cannot take that slap that says you're powerless, you're weak, you're helpless, you need a savior. And so the the initial invitation here is to the simple, right? It means naive and gullible, and, and to those who lack judgment, which means, as I've said many times, stupid by choice. It's not that you were born uh, lacking in intellect, because there are geniuses, who act in very foolish ways. And so uh, it's a stupidity by negligence or laziness, uh, won't apply yourself or discipline yourself. And uh, really, just how sad that we, we, we need commands to tell us simple things like don't murder people, you know, don't tell lies. Could you just not steal things that don't belong to you. Uh, and, and still, even though God has to, first of all, it's humbling that he has to tell us that. <laughs> Number two, that he has to command it. 
And even when God Almighty commands it and we agree that that's right and we shouldn't do it, we do it anyway. That ought to tell you that God's assessment of the human heart is correct, 100%. Wicked and broken and deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Beyond cure. The only cure is to have a new heart (laughs) by the power of the Holy Spirit. So she concludes by saying, uh, just forsake the stupid way. That's what that word in the Hebrew means. He just says, turn into my place. Forsake being foolish. Leave the the, the dumb ways behind. And, And really what she's calling for in the New Testament sense in the end is to repent. Metanaeo in the Greek, it just means to turn. That's all God ever asks of anybody uh, to come into a right relationship with him is turn, change your mind, have a change of heart, learn the hammer on your head. Just, you know, let that sink in and then just stop. Turn around, turn into my house. It's a lot more pleasurable in the house of wisdom. And so uh, the great big takeaways from this verse is hooking up with wisdom. You get a happy and strong life contentment, satisfaction, joy down deep, uh, something none of us have in ourselves, but something all of us can have. Uh, All of us who are are called simpletons in the Bible, all we have to do is come to the party, show up, and eat. How hard is that? Now, the transition. Before um, the camera going to pan from wisdom's house to uh, the house of foolishness, He wants to talk a little bit about somebody who's listening to this so far and is rolling their eyes and thinking, what a waste of time. He wants to call that person out and he's going to call him a mocker. All right, so let's talk about this mocker who thinks all of this is stupid and we're just going to uh, waste our time. So he says, I I know you, mocker. I mean, honestly, there's a risk involved here. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Go ahead. (laughs) Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. So uh, we we know you're out there, and I'm ready for it. Verse 8, do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. So we looked at the house that wisdom built, right? So point number two, the thing that most upsets fools. Correction, being corrected. And that's what makes a fool a fool. They will not be corrected. They are not teachable. They know everything. They're easily offended. Um, They uh, never accept correction. They're above everybody else. You know, a fool thinks himself uh, seven times. uh, A fool thinks himself wiser than seven men who answer sensibly. That's another proverb. Just uh, the fool just thinks. They know everything, and they are in no need of changing anything. And so that's what keeps them stuck uh, going down the wrong path. Now, the litmus 
litmus test, I should say, for stupid is your reaction to biblical correction. All right, so he's going to define who is wise and, and who is a fool and who remains as a fool uh, by our reaction and response to biblical rebuking. When the Bible comes down, just kind of kind of lovingly, just kind of uh, hits us upside the soul and says, hey, check this out, you know? So uh, just for reinforcement of this idea, in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1, it does say, and I quote, so moms, don't get mad at me, the one who hates correction is stupid. Now, I know we're not supposed to say stupid in church, right? Uh, but that's right out of the Bible. The one who hates correction is stupid. Now, it's not rude to say that, and it's not a pejorative term. It's just reality. Now, how else do we grow up out of um, being foolish, having wrong ideas? We have self-centered thinking, right? We're immature from childhood. You know, what are our first words? Our first words are either mine, mine, right? It's not yours and, and sharing, it, it, no, it's mine. Or, or our, our first sentence is, you're not the boss of me, right? So, so it's, it's mine, and you're not the boss of me, and it's already in there, and you can see it evidenced at an early age. And so now, and, and how do you get out of that? It, the only way out is through being corrected. We have worldly philosophies, harmful ideologies, sinful attitudes, and behaviors, we get off track so easily. Of course, are, we need a lifetime, habitual, repetitive correcting, which is what we find in the Word of God and in church and from parents and from police officers and anybody else in this world that God has put in a position to bring correction. And it's our response to that correction if it's resentment, you're a fool, the Bible says, and you'll remain in your immature and broken state and uh, suffering the consequences uh, therein. Now, uh, surely no one uh, enjoys in the moment of being uh, corrected or rebuked, right? Um, and in fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says no correction at the moment feels fun. We don't enjoy it. The initial blow... Uh, is hard to take, and a fool just can't get over it. Now, wise people, wise people can get over the initial slap and recognize that what was delivered was needful and valuable and helpful. They're able to, in maturity and the grace of God, to be able to get over the offense and the hurt ego and the wounded feelings uh, and all that goes uh, uh, with that and to see the real um, value and want that, right? So that's what makes somebody wise. The verb there in verse 7, to correct yaser, uh, it means to strike or to instruct or to reprove. The second word in that verse, to rebuke, uh, means to judge or to prove or to convict. So you call somebody on the carpet and you give the evidence, hey man, you're doing this wrong, here's why it's wrong, and here's how to correct it. That's what's happening there with those two words. Now, 
He's going to, and by the way, in the Hebrew, those two words really uh, denote that it's a person in a God-given position of authority who is bringing that correction. So it's like a parent or God himself or the scriptures or an employer or teacher or a pastor, all of whom have been called by God to bring necessary, uh, speaking the truth in love, to guard over uh, in, in the church world to guard God's people and to help them. So now he's saying, listen, I know Rehoboam. He's talking to his boy, the Holy Spirit talking to us. I know, and he's talking to us who talk to other people about how they're living. I know that we run the risk of abuse and insulting because it's a blow to one's pride, you know? Uh, we're implying that the person is doing something wrong or dumb or lacking understanding. Uh, and uh, that person may need to apologize or make amends or admit it uh, or to feel stupid. Maybe they are embarrassed or they have to change. They have to confess to God. All of those things make it really hard uh, to receive correction. Now, these unpleasantries, um, this is what really prompts the mocker to react poorly and to strike back. The two words, the way the mocker, the fool who hears something from the Lord and just mocks, um, he, he delivers two words, insults, right? Uh, you've hurt their pride and their wounded ego, you're going to pay. And so it's an insult or abuse. Both of those words are pretty self-explanatory. And then verse 8 says, if you rebuke a fool, a mocker who's really all the way to the core with no intention of changing at all, dyed in the wool fool, uh, they will hate you. You will become their enemy. So when uh, God tells you the truth, you respond with hating that truth and, and hating the very thought of the God who would say that to you. And uh, that's the origin of that. The two verbs are really that you get verbally attacked or publicly humiliated. Oh, I can only tell you as almost four decades in pastoral ministry, 40 years, almost, I'm coming up on it. Um, I cannot tell you how difficult it is to correct a mocker Oh, my word, you have to be so careful. I, you have to take this uh, scripture to heart because when you correct a mocker, I'll tell you, I was thinking about it of all the hurtful things that have happened uh, and not many more beautiful things have happened than hurtful. But I, my mind started thinking about rebuking a mocker and then getting insulted and abused. And my mind went to... Uh, somebody, a guy, a young man who invited me for the coffee and wanted to talk about his life. And, and, and I wasn't even the one doing this, you know? He asked me for it. And, and, and he, what's going on with my life and what's wrong with this and I don't have satisfaction with that? Well, bro, you're living with your girlfriend. You're living with your girlfriend. That's called fornication. Christians don't do that. You're not married. You're asking her to give you what a, a husband, a committed husband should deserve. And you're just, you're using her and just, it's not right, man. That's why you feel the way you feel. Oh, did I ever pay a price for that? <laughs> I thought it was rather eloquent myself, but... <laughs> 
Oh, my, he wounded me. Wow. He made stuff up. He gossiped and slandered me to people I really care about. Oh, he knew right where to go and what to say and all the weak areas. He just went crazy. And all I said was, he answered his question, well, so what am I doing wrong? I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. You're sleeping with your girlfriend, please stop. And for that, he was a mocker. And there was abuse. Now, the Bible says you got to use discernment, people. If it's going to make the problem worse, if somebody's closed off, if, if it's going to defeat the aim, then it's better left unexpressed. Jesus himself said, what, what was it? I wrote it down here. Don't feed that which is sacred to dogs and don't cast your valuable pearls before swine lest they trample them under the, their feet and turn again and tear you to pieces. So there comes a time when somebody's closed off and say, man, don't, I don't want to hear that Jesus stuff anymore. You respect that. You don't stay in their face. I mean, sometimes we're just like I was, like, kind of sabotaged, like ambushed, like I didn't see it coming because it seemed like they wanted to hear it. And so you just have to use discernment. You know what I love? I, I don't know. Do I have the proverb? I think I do. Check this out. Proverbs 26. They seem confusing, don't they? Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you're going to be just like him. <laughs> answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Well, which is it? It depends. It depends on who you're talking, what kind of fool he is. If, oh, sorry. <laughs> it so depends. He's saying, let the Holy Spirit give you God-given discernment. Is this a fool who's saying, hey, man, I need, you know, I've done something stupid. I need to change. And he's open. You know him and you're feeling led. Yes, correct him for his own good. But if you're going to talk to that Marker at Starbucks who's going to tear you to shreds and is just a, all a fake lie, then you have to have the sense to say, you know what, bro, I have nothing to say. I don't think you're in the right place. Now, even that will get you some abuse. <laughs> but it won't get you as severe abuse as if you told him the real uh, problem. Amen. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful. You could go back to the verse. So it's a very different story with those who eat it with uh, wisdom's banquet, right? Uh, it says, you, you slap upside of the head with something really good and right and in love. You speak the truth in love to a wise person. They're going to love you. They're going to love you. Now, it doesn't mean that they love what happened or they love the awkward, humiliating part of having to eat some humble pie. They don't love that. But in the end, they esteem you as valuable in their lives because they're a godly person who wants to grow, wants to hear something that they don't see. You point out. I mean, it's a true friend who can tell you after you eat sushi that you have seaweed in your teeth. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> who wants to hear uh, from somebody? You know, bro, you've got seaweed in your teeth, or or you've got something else hanging from. You know, who wants to hear that? But you know what? After you get over the oh, I can't believe it, and you go in the bathroom, and you know, you fix everything, right? 
but you're glad afterwards and you appreciate that they cared enough about you to tell you what you couldn't see that everybody else could see that's making you look like a fool, right? Well, nothing makes you look like a fool than when you're giving yourself over to somebody who's not married to you. That's worse than seaweed in your teeth. <laughs> Amen? You're finally warming up, and I really appreciate it. Right. Amen. He will love you. He'll, 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 in the end, there'll be gratitude. Thank you for putting yourself in an awkward, but I appreciate you caring. It's the person who doesn't care about you who doesn't tell you anything. Pat you on the back on your way off the cliff. Why? Because <laughs> they don't care about you. It's the person who says, Where? there's a cliff. What are you doing? Well, I know everybody in the world is telling you it's, a, it's the right way to go. And I know everybody on Facebook is doing it. I know every, your mom is in agreement too and all of that. And you even found a church with a pastor. But I'm telling you, I could show you chapter and verse. This ends in, in a disaster. The wise person will say, thank you for that because you care. You cared about me. So he says, uh, and by the way, you'll get wiser. That's the way. They just, you just keep storing up uh, wisdom and knowledge. And it's just, um, it, it, they add to their knowledge and wisdom. If you know anybody who has an ounce of wisdom that you respect, just know this. Their whole lives, they've been rebuked and corrected, rebuked and corrected Learn the hard way, learn the hard way, learn the hard way. Course adjustment, course adjustment, course adjustment, correction, 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 rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. That's the only way you add to your wisdom. That's the only way. So if you ever look at somebody and say, yeah, that gal has a lot of wisdom or he's got a lot of wisdom, just know they've had to eat dirt a lot. They've had to do U-turns. They've had to humble themselves. They didn't just born, get born with wisdom. They had to be corrected out of foolishness. And that's what he's trying to get us to, to be willing to do. To be willing. So the bottom line, 10 through 12, and then we move on to uh, the foolish house next door. Uh, fear the Lord and know the Lord, and this will help you. This is why that verse is in there. The fear of the Lord will help you get over the initial resistance to being corrected and humbling yourself. The fear of God is greater than that. It should be, right? So if you're thinking eternal things are on the line, eternal reward or loss of reward in heaven when I see Jesus, regret at the end of my life. See, the fear of the Lord will help you over the, the the hard part of being corrected and growing and humbling yourself. And that's what he's saying, the bottom line. So if you're wise, you receive correction as an investment in your own well-being. You'll be rewarded. That's verse 12. And if you're a mocker and reject correction and resent people who tell you the truth uh, of God's word, you're only going to be harming yourself. Let's finish up just a few verses of the house next door that's also calling in for the party. Uh, her name is uh, Lady Folly, let's read. She's got a house, too. There it is. Isn't it beautiful, the house? You can barely see it. It's a cemetery. All right. 
now. It's a gate to her house, all right? All right, the woman folly is loud. She's undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on the other side of the freeway on a seat in the highest point in the city, calling out to those who pass by exactly worded the same as wisdom, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here. Same words. She says to those who lack judgment. Now, here's where we differ. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. So the house that wisdom built, check, we did that. The thing that upsets the fool the most is check, is correction. And now uh, the way stupidity seduces the victim. All right? So uh, for me, this is a cause uh, for being disconcerted. It's upsetting to me, is how accessible and how easy and how, uh, how foolishness and stupidity imitates wisdom and how easy you could turn left or right. With one wrong turn, you can ruin everything. That's what bothers me about this passage, is it's that Wisdom's out in front, public squares, highest place, everybody hears her voice. And stupidity and, and sin and seduction is in the same places. So everywhere that you can turn, hey, why wisdom, 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 right next door, right in the next blink, right in the next thought is the accessible availability of doing the wrong thing and swerving and, and as Proverbs says, coming to rest in the company of the dead. He who swerves from the path comes to rest in the company of the dead. That's one of the Proverbs. But what what really upsets me about it is just how easy it is. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit's job is to keep the guardrails on us and to keep our hearts from uh, stupidity and destroying ourselves. But um, what you can see here, a few points and then we're done. She's at the highest point, and she's in the squares and all of that. So the accessibility, the availability, as I've been saying, and notice the same audience (laughs) there, same words, and and really the same sort of thing is happening. Uh, The two, wisdom and stupidity, are always being heard, they're always present, and they're always inviting. Ah, always. You know Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, you know, even when I do good, Sin and evil is right there by my side. Even when I do good, there it is, right there going, huh, well, you can change your mind halfway through this good deed and make it all about you. I mean, it just is relentless. It just keeps coming at you. And that's what I see uh, written here. So um, really, the option to self-destruct is always a clear and present danger. That's a bad option. That's why we have the Bible. That's why we pray. That's why we come to church midweeks on Bible study and listen to the Bible being taught and worship the Lord and encourage one another. That's why. That's why you need to live. This this passage right here is why you need to live an extreme radical Christian life or you're just not going to make it. Folly is just, she's going to get you. 
she's going to get you because you are already predisposed to go to her house anyway. You were born that way. From Adam and Eve, passed down the stupid gene to us. <laughs> the folly gene, right? Their, <laughs> their rebellion spread to their children, and we act just like them. God draws a line in the sand, and we step over it, just like mama, just like daddy. Then we need a new daddy. That's why we get Jesus as our everlasting father. And so vast differences, though, and then we'll wrap up. There's no pillars in her house. Why? Because there's no foundation. There's no structure. There's no stability. There's no pillars when you do the dumb thing, when you sin. Your house is going to collapse on top of you. Of course, there's no pillars. There's no choice meats and no mixed wine. Why? Because there's no satisfaction. Uh, you will always leave stupid famished. You will always leave a dumb, sinful act empty. Always. Oh, in the moment, there's the thrill and all of that. She talks about it coming up. Uh, but you will always miss what you really are longing for. We go after these deep longing needs in the wrong ways. God just says, could you just go after them the right way? You can get what you need. Just do it the right way and you'll be blessed. And so you'll also notice that she hasn't set her table. Why not? Well, because there's going to be no food on that table, first of all, because she's a liar. The sign outside says, all-you-can-eat uh, sushi buffet, right? But no, it's a fat lie. So there's no table in there. There's no set table. There's a set trap, right? That's what's in her house is a trap. It's not a table set with all food. And what is in her house? Bread and water. Bread and water. She, she mentions it. Stolen food or it's bread there or water. We're going to talk about it right now. Look at her character, verse 13. She's loud. That word means unruly, obnoxious, in your face, reckless, proud, and arrogant. Uh, undisciplined means unrestrained by moral uh, parameters, lawless. And without knowledge means that willful ignorance of what's right and wrong. It's really the spirit of the world calling out to all, every unregenerated person on the planet. And the evidence that you're not a fool is that you don't go into her house. And if you do go into her house, it's really quick and nasty and painful, and then you get out of there and run over to Wisdom's house and eat the banquet that will revive you and heal you. So, I mean, who doesn't go to Stupid's house? Everybody in this room has visited the Stupid's house, right? You haven't come over to my house. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we've been over. <laughs> Notice with me the temptation's biggest uh, strategy is foolish people by the lie. And we're wrapping up now, verses 16 and 17. Here's the lie. And here's her one strategy to get stupid into the house to destroy him. Here's, here's how she does it. She just lies to him or her and says, hey, stolen water, sweet. Mm. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Well, an Arabic uh, proverb says that everything forbidden uh, is sweet. Yes, or so it seems at first, always, right? What is it about the human heart that, you know, unlawful things, uh, we're attracted to them. We want to do them. 
there's some sort of thrill. And the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. So it's very, so she half lies. So she says, hey, man, you know, it's going to be sweet and delicious, right? Whatever that thing is. That's the half lie. Then she leaves out the part where once you've tasted the sweet and you've ingested it, it actually turns out to be lethal and poisonous and will be your undoing. It'll make you sick. It'll be, make you empty and it will be your undoing. So the idea that you're getting away with something in secret and nobody else knows, you know, whether that's stealing money or embezzling funds or having an affair or pornography, there's something just uh, sweet to the sick soul uh, that is done um, in secret like that. And otherwise, we would not do it. So she tells the half-truth, and she just leaves out the part, and so does the devil, that the wages of sin is always death and emptiness and barrenness and all judgments and all kinds of things. Uh, verse 18 said, it says, little do they know. And that's an important line. It's that willful ignorance to say what matters to me is getting that thing ill-gotten gain. just doesn't matter. No, uh, Foolish people don't give uh, any thought to their ways. So they don't stop to think about then what? You know. So little do they know that after they ingest, after they take, after they have the affair, and they get caught, or they kill somebody because they were driving drunk, or whatever, that part, little did they know that death was involved because when sin conceives, it brings forth death every single time. There's some sort of emptiness, barrenness, or judgment, and, and they just don't know because they don't give any thought to their ways. They're just interested in the now. Uh, this will be a gain to me. This is what I want. This would bring me pleasure. So that's as far as their brain will go. That's it. They won't think about impact to other people, their testimony, church, nothing. Or their eternal consequences. They just do it. And that's what defines a fool. And so, you know, the ha on a happy note, how, how we wrap things up is, is that God has made a way uh, out of stupid and out of foolishness. There's a way to avoid it. You know, and there's a way back in case we stumble. It's easy. Wisdom is easy to have. Walking with the Lord is satisfying, and it will protect us and bring us great joy. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for wisdom. Lord, we know that wisdom is found in, in you, the Lord Jesus Christ, as it's written about you, that in you, are all the treasuries of wisdom and knowledge. So we thank you, Father, for being here tonight and for walking us through a very relevant passage because we all, we hear wisdom and we hear the call to folly every day. <laughs> in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, pulling us in one direction and our sinful nature the other. So help us, Lord, to live spirit-filled lives so that we can not, uh, not satisfy or gratify the, the sinful nature by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song.
You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.